Hi, welcome to What Are the Tax Implications? I'm Ron Scott. I'm Jeff Rosenthal. We are your first call tax advocates here once again to help increase your financial and tax knowledge. In today's episode, the topics we cover from callers include alimony and child support. What are the tax implications? We'll then talk about the circumstance when a person on an installment payment arrangement with the IRS just cannot keep making the payment. They just they just don't have the money to fulfill the agreement. And what are the tax implications? And lastly, we're going to discuss gifting and the tax implications of gifting. Whether you're the CEO of your household or of your business, questions constantly arise regarding the tax consequences of your financial circumstance. First Call Tax Advocates is always here to answer your questions and offer educational background regarding the potential tax implications of your action. Ron and Jeff are your first responders. They are board certified financial and tax professionals with over 60 years of experience. Please visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more about them, explore their resources, and leave a review of your experience. For more urgent matters, please call them toll free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. The topics and responses discussed here are intended for general education. Our discussions are not intended to give you advice on your specific situation. We would advise you to seek advice from a competent and licensed professional. Tax law is always evolving and our discussions are based on the law existing to date. In today's first topic, We had a call from Dan from Diker Heights. Dan and his soon-to-be ex-spouse have agreed it is time to to move on. Uh, Spending too much time together during this sequestration has caused them to rethink their marriage. Dan and his spouse will be divorced as soon as possible. But with that, what Dan is asking about is alimony. He thinks he may have to pay alimony since he is the larger wage earner. Jeff, what are the tax implications of alimony? Okay, Dan, um, you're in a pretty big boat. A lot of other people are asking the very same question. Um, Alimony is a court-ordered matter. Uh, Alimony is a tax term, but the courts will actually order is spousal support. And if I understand your question uh, correctly is, uh, do you get a tax deduction for it? And the answer shortly is no. So it's income to his ex-wife and it is an expense to him. How did they handle it in the past? Because I know that we have some new rules. How was that handled in the past, Jeff? Well, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, 1-1-2019, the 
payer would get a tax deduction and the recipient would have taxable income. So, Dan, your spouse would have had taxable income before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act made that change. And you would have had a deduction. It would have been an above-the-line deduction for you, meaning it would have uh, made your adjusted gross income less, which is a good thing. The changes because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, though, don't change the need for alimony to be paid. It's just the tax handling. Jeff, in the past, that income that Dan's ex-wife, let's say, would have received, what could she have used that money for that may have given her a tax advantage? I believe uh, the question really goes to, can you, is that a trigger for an an, uh, individual retirement account, an IRA? And the answer is yes, it can be. So um, certainly uh, the new tax law changes require different perspectives from the ones that existed prior to 2019. uh, But in the end, you've got to discuss this with your legal advisor. So some of the gimmies of the alimony rules have changed and they're kind of looking like some gotchas. That money that the higher wage earner receives, in this case, Dan, you can use your earned income to fund your individual retirement account. Whereas that money that goes to your ex-wife, she cannot use it to fund her Uh, individual retirement account. But let's get back on some of the other changes, Jeff, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. What if a person, what if a couple has, they have a divorce arrangement? Um, Could they, could there be a modification to that, uh, that arrangement presently that changes some of the tax rules? So Ron, I think where we're going here is if this wasn't a current divorce, but an old divorce. So in the old divorces prior to January 1st, 2019, as I said earlier, the payer gets a tax deduction, the recipient uh, has income. Uh, if there's a modification after 1119, the law requires in the language of the modification that the new tax rules will apply and you will lose the um the tax advantage or the tax uh, benefit. Uh, so if the if the old divorce is modified, then no longer is it deductible or includable as income. Thanks, Jeff. Now, Dan, just so that you know, there are some rules with regards to this. Jeff, what are the five rules regarding alimony? Well, that's a... Even great question. Uh, It would be covered under Section 71 of the Internal Revenue Code. We're not trying to be a code expert here or make you one, uh, which has temporarily been uh, repealed. But the divorce must be in writing, uh, must be court ordered. Uh, You can't just sit down at your kitchen table and hammer out an agreement. That's that's not a definition of alimony. It must be in cash or cash equivalents. Um, uh, It must terminate upon death or remarriage. So those are very specific rules. 
It's what converts court-ordered spousal support to an IRS alimony um, uh, trajectory. And as I said, at the moment, it is currently repealed. That's the current status of it. And the payee and the payor cannot be members of the same household at the time of the payment. Oh, that is correct. They can't live in the same house and be divorced. And the pandemic is going to bring about exactly those scenarios. People can't tolerate each other, but they can't afford to move out. So, But at any rate, alimony is no longer a tax item one way or the other as income or as a deduction. And one of the last strange rules about alimony, the divorce or separation instrument must not identify the payment as anything other than alimony. So with that, Dan, best of luck to you in your situation, and hopefully things can work out. Good luck. In our next topic, we'll be learning what happens if you can't make your payment. We've talked about issues with not being able to pay credit cards, not being able to pay uh, any secured debt. But today we're going to talk about the inability to pay the IRS when you have an agreement with them. Lenny from Lancaster calls and he explains that he has an installment payment arrangement in place and he's been able to make his payments without a problem. Now his income has stopped. He's able to make payments on some necessary bills that he has, but he is now finding an inability to pay his installment payment arrangement. It is a direct deposit um, uh, situation. So he's not writing checks and mailing them. And he no longer has enough money in his account, so he cannot make the payment. Jeff, what happens? What are the tax implications for Lenny now that he can no longer make those payments? Oh, boy, Lenny. I fear that you're not the only one in that category as well. I'm sorry that you're going through such difficulties. I guess the good news is that you were in an installment arrangement, so you were stepping up and doing what was required of you. And um, what you should not do is you should not ignore the payment responsibility. So by that, I mean you should get in touch with the IRS and tell them you cannot make your payment. Get in touch with the IRS? I, I've got a payment due next week and I don't have enough money. You think I could call them and they could work with me within a week? Well... In normal times, which we are certainly not in, uh, there was a phone system available. Uh, some of the employees at the IRS have come back to work. I believe that is one of the units that is up and operational. If not, uh, you can contact a tax professional who can try and track down some of the other units at the IRS that are working. Okay, so... We, we sense that Lenny will probably do whatever he can to call the IRS, and maybe he can get some assistance from a tax professional. But Jeff, what could happen if Lenny, Lenny ignores this? Maybe it'll go away. Uh, what, what, what could happen if 
the IRS tries to draft money based on the installment payment arrangement, and there ain't no money there. Well, you know, the IRS can seize your your bank accounts. They can put a garnishment on your salary. They could make life painful and ugly, and penalties and uh, interest would uh, would escalate. Uh, that's not a real smart way of going. They'll issue a tax lien. They can really jam you up. Uh, the smarter way is to have a professional communicate with the service that you have difficulty, and then we'll try and figure out a new arrangement. So it may be possible for uh, temporary forbearance, uh, maybe deferment, maybe, hey, give give Lenny a couple of months. Is that possible, Jeff? I mean, the truth is, it's an excellent question. It's a, it's, you're open to negotiation. Communications is very magical. It really goes a long way towards compliance. Uh, within reason, the IRS is going to agree to most things that you suggest. So uh, a, a forbearance, a delay of payment is one possibility. If your situation has become very precarious, you got sick because of COVID-19 or something else that they would uh, declare you currently not collectible. I mean, there's a number of different possibilities that are uh, open, which is why you need to communicate with them. But the world's worst thing you could do is to ignore them and not to communicate with them. So Lenny, know the rules, know the law. Um, I hope things work out well for you, but make that phone call, uh, get a tax advocate working for you. Um, these are unique times, but your situation is not unique. Sometimes during the best of times, people cannot make payments to the IRS. So they have to have another conversation. Ignoring them is never the option. Good luck, Lenny. Remember, the First Call Tax Advocates, Ron and Jeff, are your first responders. Board-certified professionals, over 60 years of experience. Visit their website, firstcalltaxadvocates.com. That's firstcalltaxadvocates.com. Learn more, explore, and leave a review. For more urgent matters, call them toll-free at 833-568-8999. That's 833-568-8999. And for you subscribers, we offer a complimentary consultation to discuss your tax matter. Our last topic in this episode has to do with gifting. We have Millie from Milwaukee who has amassed a nice nest egg. A very loving mother and grandmother and wants to take care of her children and grandchildren. But she's concerned. Jeff, if Millie wants to gift, what are the tax implications? Great question, Millie. Um, first of all, I, I applaud your good heart. Um, you're allowed to give uh, up to $15,000 per donee, per person, uh, per year. Uh, uh, there are no tax implications except for the fact that it reduces your estate uh, and the recipient does not have to report any of that income. 
So Millie can give money away and there are no tax implications. What about to her kids or grandkids? They're receiving money. Isn't that taxable? It is specifically written in the law that it is not. So it's not taxable to the children and it's not taxable to Millie. But you mentioned a limit. So is is Millie limited to only $15,000 when she gifts to her children or grandchildren? No. Millie can give up to $15,000 to everybody in the phone book if she so desires. Hmm. So is she limited, though, to $15,000? Let's say she wanted to give $16,000. Can she give $16,000? Okay, Millie, you can give away any amount of money. Uh, the calculation is fairly simple. Whatever you give away minus the annual exclusion, which in this case is 15000 and the remainder. Ron, why don't you talk about the remaining amount? So let's say, Millie, you wanted to give $16,000 to one of your children. The first $15,000, if that is the only gift that you made to that person that year, would be excluded based on the annual gift tax exclusion rules. But what about that extra $1,000? That needs to be recorded. It's done so on uh, U.S. Form 709, which you file with your tax return, and it would be recorded that... The 15000 was given, and then the additional 1000 which will go against your lifetime estate and gift exemption, which presently is $11.58 million. So, Millie, that extra 1000 is not going to trigger gift tax. You got a long way to go. So, Jeff, Millie's not going to have to pay gift tax on those small amounts above 15,000. And she can give away you know any amount that she wants to anyone. But what could happen if she was a very wealthy woman and she gave away more than that 11.58 million? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, Millie, you want any more relatives? <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So if you exceed the $11.58 million, now you're actually going to trigger the actual gift tax calculation. There is a transfer tax on the gift. So per Above 15000 but below $11.58 million, there's just a paperwork reporting requirement. Above $11.58, there's an actual tax. So, Millie, as long as you don't have too much wealth, you're going to be able to help out your grandchildren and your children. A couple of other things uh, to think about. Your grandchildren may have uh, college on their radar. They may want to go to college someday and there's money for tuition and qualified expenses that would be due. It's an opportunity for a grandparent or a parent, but really this is for the grandparents, to fund their, their grandchildren's college education using some special rules 
with regard to uh, gifting and Section 529 accounts. Now, we're bringing in something, Jeff, here that is education for the grandmas, the Section 529 account. What is that, Jeff? Well, 529 account is a college funding vehicle for for a young person. Um, you can fund that in any which way. Some states give a tax deduction and some states don't. Um, but you're moving the money out of your estate. And the special rule exception is you can give a one-time, uh, five times the annual exclusion amount uh, per child. So in this case, 15000 times five, you can give $75,000. Wow. That's great. So grandma could really help out her grandchildren. Another thing that could be done, and this is really for anybody, and instead of using that annual gift tax exclusion amount of 15000 Millie, if you were to write the check directly to the university, you could you wouldn't be using your annual gift tax exclusion. It's something called a qualified transfer. So there are so many ways where you can help your grandchildren in a tax advantaged way and postpone any potential gift tax, no matter how wealthy you are. Again, there are many rules to follow with regard to this, but nothing better than grandma, right? Watching her grandchildren enjoy the gift she's given. Good luck, Millie. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. You probably have additional questions, don't you? We are your first call. Remember, everyone's situation is unique, but we should be your first call. We are your first responders. The 911 operator doesn't call you. Please call us toll free at 833-568-8999. Again, 833-568-8999. And visit our website at firstcalltaxadvocates.com. We'd love to know what you've learned today. So please leave a review on our website. We have attempted to appeal to a broad audience, but we want to help everyone if we can. On the next episode, we will be talking about the ordinary, necessary, and reasonable expenses that a business owner is allowed to deduct. On the next episode, taking into account this unique tax year, 2020. And then we'll talk about that a, business owner a taxpayer to deduct. who has not filed because he was getting refunds and he figured, you know what? I didn't want the hassle of filing my taxes. And what are the tax implications of that? And lastly, business owner is done shutting down his business. Has enough money to transition until he starts up a new business, but wants to understand the tax implications of shutting down one and starting another in a different industry. Has enough money to transition until he starts up a new business, but wants to understand the tax implications of shutting down one and starting another in a different industry.